welcome to the Raw Otters Podcast, episode 21. Of course, I am Josh Lewis, the guy who created it all. Well, Raw Autos, that is. Not all of it. Not everything out there. Just Raw Autos. Just this podcast. Um, and, of course, the, the YouTube and uh, um, social media channels that are attached to Raw Autos as well. Didn't create the social media. Just the channels on those, uh, or just the, you know, Raw Autos on those channels or whatever. You know, you know what I mean? It's late. I'm recording this podcast late. Why? Because I'm lazy most of the time. Uh, we've got a lot to talk to, or talk to. We've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> I'm talking to you about these things. Uh, of course, you know where to find us, or find me, that is, on YouTube and Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Raw Autos. Uh, and of course you can download the podcast pretty much anywhere. And of course, uh, leave me a comment, a review, whatever. I enjoy the comments. So yeah, but let's really jump into it. Why? Because NASCAR have banned the Confederate flag. (gasps) Oh no. What are we to do now? I guess we just have to watch the races. After Bubba Wallace, um, one of the, you know, big names in uh, NASCAR right now, uh, he decided, he said, you know what, I've had enough. And he spoke out and he said that he did not want the Confederate battle flag to be flown at NASCAR races anymore. And, he, and, and NASCAR said, you know what, you're right. Now, granted, NASCAR in 2015 had already kind of tried to deal with this issue. They had uh, various racetracks that actually... Uh, basically allows you to turn in your Confederate flag for an American flag. And it was something that they were kind of pushing anyway, regardless. Um, and of course, uh, it, I'm sure you've seen some of the content or plenty of the content. Uh, Bubba actually uh, wore an I Can't Breathe Black Lives Matter t-shirt. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, he's been a big change for the sport in a good way, obviously. And uh, I I find it very interesting because, you know, I live in the South and I, I see the Confederate flag everywhere and I really couldn't give a shit less. <laughs> Go home. I, you know, I, I, the Confederate flag means nothing to me. Um, I was born in Baltimore, uh, raised primarily in the South in North Carolina. I've seen it. I've seen it for years and I've never, ever, ever understood it. Um, because I, I think it it just makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, look, I'll get into a history lesson at some other time or some other podcast. Um, but in, in the world of cars, Confederate flag doesn't mean shit. Uh, and in the world of racing, again, doesn't mean shit. Because we're all there for the, the, the singular purpose of racing. Of having a good time, enjoying the, the spectator sport as it is. And, uh, you know, I, I applaud Bubba for standing up and, uh, and, and being real, uh, for, you know, for himself and other, uh, black fans that are out there. Uh, I know my wife is not a fan of NASCAR, you know, not that she, you know, couldn't get into it or wouldn't get into it. Um, it's just not her cup of tea. I'm, I'm the racing guy in the family in the household. And, uh, but she saw pictures of Bubba Wallace. I showed her some of his stuff and she was like, Ooh. He can get it. (laughs) Uh, So if you didn't listen to my last podcast uh, or uh, another one before, uh, my wife is black. So that, you know, um, not that a white woman couldn't be into Bubba Wallace. I'm sure there are plenty of of, uh, other women out there that are very much so into him. 
And uh, but yeah, so you know, I just think that this is very interesting that that NASCAR have, have finally done the deed and banned uh, the Confederate battle flag. And you know what? Rightly so. But the best the best content has been on Twitter and Facebook and other social media platforms where people are just angry and pissy, and it's hilarious. Uh, please allow me to read you some of them. Uh, this is this is 100% my favorite. Uh, well, this is one of my favorites. Sorry. This is the final straw. I've been watching NASCAR since the 70s. I used to go to races proudly with my pops. All lives matter. Stay out of politics. You lost a fan. Um, okay. <laughs> but by far my absolute favorite was a guy named George who said NASCAR is a sport born in the South. If you ban my flag, you are stepping on my Second Amendment right. You also will not make another dime from me. I will call all of the products I buy and tell them that Ian will no longer buy their products. Because of this, you can kiss my southern ass. Why did he refer to himself as Ian when... His name is George. <laughs> Very weird. I don't know. Uh, but uh, also Second Amendment. I didn't know that NASCAR was stepping on your Second Amendment rights by uh, banning the Confederate battle flag. Um, and the Confederate flag being your flag. Very interesting. Didn't know you fought for the South. <laughs> didn't know you were in the Civil War and somehow have survived all this time. Congratulations for being the oldest human being alive. Uh, wow. Uh, another person said, this is the final straw. This is the last straw. Um, I've been watching NASCAR events for 10 years, and I have weathered all of the SJ, uh, SJW bullshit. SJW meaning uh, social justice warrior. Uh, I'm canceling my subscription, and myself, my wife, and her boyfriend will not be watching any further NASCAR events. You've lost a valuable customer today. Obviously trolling, having a good time with this. <laughs> Uh, I thought that was pretty great. Uh, another one is uh, good. Good luck with that. I'll be bringing mine to every race. Hashtag NASCAR. Um, and then somebody commented, replied to his comment, and said uh, the official flag of the Confederacy, which is a is a gif of the waving of the white flag. That's been one of my that's been one of my favorite things. And people saying that you know NASCAR are still going to wave um, the the only Confederate flag that matters, and that is the one. That is uh, for the last lap, the white flag. Thought that was hilarious. Um, let's see. I'm really upset. My wife and my cousin, uh, my wife, my cousin, and I are canceling our season tickets. So that's two paying fares you're never going to see again. Uh, it's it's hilarious what people what people say. Oh, here's okay. Here's another good one. Uh, this is the last one I'll read. This is by the way. These were all on an article by the Root, uh, which was very funny. Um, I've always watched NASCAR and grew up around racetracks. I have to take a stand here. Being quote politically correct end quote is not always the best stand to take. Some of these choices are doing away with the history of our country from its roots just because someone complains. Really. So let's get into that. The history of our country uh, and the history of our roots. The history of our roots is not in Confederacy or the treasonous acts of the South. Plain and simple. 
I mean, because, you know, if, if you want to say that that's our history, then that means that you have to acknowledge that our history in this country, that so much of our country is uh, historically bound to slavery and hatred of non-white people and even non-Christians, in a sense. Um, you know, we fled uh, the, uh, the British by coming to this new world and said, hey, we're going to have no religious persecution. Uh, excuse us, we're talking over here. Uh, I don't know who you are, but you're on our new property. You know, it, we have to understand that, that American history has a lot of interesting roots. And if you're not going to acknowledge all of it, you can't just honor one of it, you know, one piece of it. Uh, so, you know, I, that's, that's a ridiculous comment that you're doing away with our history. What history? What history? A, a, a lost war? A, a bunch of people that, that didn't like something and they lost their cause to try and, and make it uh, unified around the country, which was slavery, or as some people like to say, states' rights, which was states' rights to slavery uh, or to have slavery. You know, that's <laughs> so ridiculous. I'm glad that NASCAR is banned. It. I, I understand that, you know, I've talked to people over the years that do fly the Confederate battle flag because I'm genu genuinely interested, you know, in, in what their take is and why they fly, what it means to them. And a lot of the times I come across people and they say the same thing, that it's their Southern heritage, it's their Southern pride. It's their, it's their reason to, to be into trucks and Friday nights and, you know, stock car racing and, and things like that, you know, moonshine and stuff like that. Um, look, I get it. We have symbols that are, that we, we cherish and that we hold up high. Um, but when one of those symbols, you know, makes somebody uncomfortable or, or is the, is a literal meaning of treasonous acts against our own country, but also, acts against a group of people you have to understand that 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 thing that you think represents your heritage also represents so much more beyond that heritage you know uh you're not going to see somebody who is a nice person flying a nazi german flag right uh you're not going to see somebody with a swastika on their backpack or tattoo on themselves or a swastika on their shirt and walk up to them and be like, I, I, you know, very fine person, <laughs> very nice, kind human being. So it, it's hard for me to, it's always been hard for me to, to understand the, the level of lust for the Confederate battle flag. Um, so it's it's quite ridiculous that people hang on to it as something that means so much to them when they didn't fight for it. They haven't been in a war. They haven't dealt with it. You know, so that that's a it's a ridiculous comment, ridiculous stance to take. You're on the losing side of history and take it from me, somebody who has actual ancestors who fought for the south uh during the the civil war. Uh having ancestors who did in fact own slaves take it from me ain't worth it trust me uh there is a uh a book that i have uh and a book that is in the library of congress there are only two copies of it known copies of it 
Um, it was about my ancestors. Um, it's about a great grandfather of mine who was in the Civil War, was was uh, captured by the North, and was a POW during the Civil War. And he wrote a book about it afterwards. So my family has one copy, and the uh, Library of Congress has the other copy. Um, and so again, my heritage is genuinely rooted in the South. Um, but I, I don't, it means nothing to me because it's, I, I think about it like this. If you like being naked, right? You, you just like walking around with your, you know, your, your freak flag flying high, but other people are uncomfortable by it. And you do like being around other people. You put clothes on. You put clothes on to respect that other people are uncomfortable by your behavior or by this thing that you like. And instead, you take it to your personal home behind closed doors where you can draw the shades and not have anybody see you. This is somewhat similar. That's not the perfect analogy, but it is, it is an analogy nonetheless that, that can apply to this. If you like that Confederate battle flag, sure, fly it in your own home. Fly it on your property. I disagree with it 100%. But you know what? Your First Amendment right allows you to fly it if you so please. But don't complain when people are uncomfortable about it. When your heritage makes other people feel weird about you and about you being around them. And understand that the world changes. Whether you want it to or not is not up to you. It's not up to me. The world changes. You didn't live in the Civil War. You didn't have to fight in that war. You don't own slaves. You can't own slaves. Everybody, according to this country, according to the, the, the truths that we hold so dear, everyone was born free and equal. So your first amendment right at a certain point when a, when a business of sorts like NASCAR says, no, we're not interested in you flying your flag here. Uh, it is offensive to people that do want to enjoy the sport. Instead of being offended by that, reach out to the people, the, the other people that enjoy the sport, meaning black people, who enjoy the sport of NASCAR, reach out to them, become friendly with them, understand what that flag represents to them. So don't be mad. Just understand what it means. All right. So moving on from that topic, uh, hopefully I've talked about that topic for the last time. Oh, wait, actually, no, not moving on. Cause this is my favorite of all of it. I totally forgot about this. Ray Cicerelli, who was a NASCAR truck series driver, he had the absolute best comment to make. And he put, he put it on Facebook. He has since deleted it. Apparently, um, he races in the Gander RV and outdoors truck series. God, every time NASCAR just has a series with a new name, it just like, just doesn't always ring as well as it used to. Right. He drove the number 49 truck uh, and he, he drove uh, 18 races over the span of three years. 
I had one top 10 finish in 2019 at the Corrigan Oil 200 and no wins and no polls. But he posted on Facebook. Well, it's been a fun ride and dream come true. But if this is the direction of NASCAR, if this is the direction NASCAR is headed, we will not participate after the 2020 season is over. I don't believe in kneeling during Anthem nor taking people right to fly whatever whatever flag they love. Whew. I could care less about the Confederate flag, but there are people that do and it doesn't make them a racist. All you are doing is fucking one group to cater to another and I ain't spending the mo- I ain't spend the money we are to participate in any political BS. So everything is for sale. Ray First off, number one, you are entitled to your opinion. Congratulations to it. Um, two, um, it's I couldn't care less. Not I could care less. That means that you can care. It means it, you can absolutely care less. Because you're saying that it's like at the top of your list of caring and you could care less. If you're saying I couldn't care less. That means that it is of zero importance to you. I couldn't give a shit less, right? The other thing is, when you post this up, don't put the words Confederate and flag, the C and the F. Don't put those in capital letters. If you're trying to tell people that you don't give a shit about it, because obviously you do. If you capitalize the C in Confederate, and the F and flag. What? That, that means that you have some reverence to it. <laughs> um, also, the English. Holy shit, man. Whoa. <laughs> you have so many abilities and rights in this country, and you have chosen to be somewhat illiterate. Oh, my God. Um, and if everything is for sale, can I have the, uh, well, no, you, you probably didn't get a trophy for the top 10 finish in the Corrigan oil 20, uh, 200. Hmm. Damn. Yeah. Look, I'm not saying that, that, uh, Ray Cicerelli was a bad driver, uh, because look, I'm not a NASCAR. I don't have the money to, uh, to race in it. Uh, I don't know that I could do any better and I'm sure that I would probably do much worse. Uh, but Ray, wow. Woo. Yikes. <laughs> uh, that post is, uh, ouch. Just doesn't, doesn't work. Um, uh, go right ahead. Go on home. Uh, um, you know, I would love to see you, uh, be a part of the movement and actually give a shit, but, uh, obviously you don't. So that's fine. Moving on. Finally. Because we did have something uh, pretty, you know, substantially uh, uh, sad happen this week. Uh, sad for, for Porsche fans all over the world. Hans Metzger has passed away at the age of 90. So Metzger was born November 18th, 1929. And he is really the father of 9-11 engines, as we know it. You know, the flat six. Um he was a designer of power plants uh, and the first ever 9-11 when it appeared in 1963. Um, 
it actually had a Metzger design power plant, you know, a two liter flat six. Um, and ever since then, Porsche's flat six engines have been based off the Metzger power plant design. And of course, more famously now, uh, the uh, from the 2000s, early 2000s to just before the 991 series, Cor- uh, 99, I almost said Corvettes, the 991 series GT3s, the 996 and 997 GT3, GT2, GT2 RS, the GT3 RS, and the Turbo all use Metzger designed power plants. Uh, but in the 991 series, they went away from that. Um, famously, he developed the power plant for the, or the engine for the 917, which was a world class dominating race car in the 70s. And of course, um, just so many others he actually according to porsche um he he actually started with the company in in 1956 october 1st of 1956 uh in the calculation department um and but basically he really had a big stronghold on um porsche engines designed for motorsports so between the 917 and the tag turbo for formula one in um in the 1970s and these cars were, uh, well, in the 80s, sorry, the Tag Turbo was in the, the 80s. Um, these cars were designed for real all-out racing, and it's what made Porsche so successful. The 917 was a, was a risky design, uh, was a risky vehicle, but it was so successful and, and helped to launch Porsche's racing career in terms of true one-on-one racing cars. Um, not cars that were developed for the road and then turned into race cars. No, these were actual, you know, real deal race cars. And they were amazing. 917 is just, God, it's one of the coolest looking race cars ever. Right. And, uh, the, the tag turbo, um, it was a one and a half liter V6 engine and it was, uh, 1984. Nikki Lotta actually won a world championship with it. And then again in 85, and then in 86, Alan Prost uh, won uh, in that Tag Turbo as well. Uh, the Tag Turbo actually won a total of 25 races plus two Constructors World Championships in 84 and 85. And uh, so, yeah, obviously he was extremely successful. And he designed uh, the 910, 907, 908, 917 uh, four-cylinder engine um, and the two-liter four-cylinder engine, sorry, for the 914 production sports car. Um, the Can-Am race cars of 917.10 and 917.30 with turbocharging. I mean, the, the list goes on. The Type 935, 936. Um, it, it, literally, the guy was instrumental <laughs> in everything that Porsche did over their entire uh, storied career after the 356. So, well, I mean, genuinely one of the most important people in all of uh, in all of the car world, uh, all of the racing world, but especially for Porsche, uh, his engines genuinely put them on a different map. And, uh, it is thanks to him that, that, that Porsche have such a storied past and amazing success in racing and have some of the best engines that you can find in, uh, ultimate sports cars that we see on the road. Uh, the last Metzger designed or, you know, uh, 
uh, engineered power plant that we saw was with the 997-911 GT3 RS 4.0. That was the absolute swan song of uh, Metzger-designed engines. But interestingly enough, it wasn't uh, the last Metzger engine as a whole because the Singer DLS which is obviously, if you know Singer, the the one-off um, uh, Porsche company, or the it's a company obviously does not have anything to do with Porsche, but Singer take 911s and make them one-off machines, right? Some of the most amazing, glorious-looking, sounding, feeling everything 911s you could ever find, and uh, some of the best interiors you'll also ever find in a 911. Some of the most unique cars. Um, but extremely expensive, like half a million dollars plus expensive, <laughs> but they're amazing. I've never driven one. I'm very jealous. Actually, um, there are many journalists who have, and I'm jealous because I would love to drive one, but I haven't had the opportunity. But the DLS, uh, actually, so they say, Singer actually say their 911s are reimagined uh, by Singer, right? Um, the DLS stands for Dynamics and Light Weighting Study. And so they made this new car, which is going to have 500 horsepower, 9,000 RPM, air-cooled 4-liter uh, flat 6. And uh, they brought, I don't know how, but they were able to bring Metzger out of retirement uh, to work with Williams Advanced Engineering. And uh, they were able to use the help of, of Hans Metzger and build the final new engine to go into a car, into a 911 Um and I, I can't wait. I can't. I mean, it's obviously it's it's um, uh, they've been in driving it and and utilizing it. And uh, I think if I remember correctly, Chris Harris has actually had some development and uh, uh, some development driving uh, involvement with the car. And so I uh, hopefully one day we'll get to drive one. Um, you know, maybe I can uh, knock over a bank and be able to afford one. Who knows? If my wife would let me, we could sell everything we own and still not be within half of what I would half of the money I would need to actually put up to buy the car. But uh, you know, we, we could you know maybe maybe work out a deal. Um, yeah, I could do a timeshare with a with a Singer DLS. Like it's just like thirty five people that lay claim to one car, right? We all just kind of pitch in, you know, and we all have a little piece of it and we all, you know, schedule it when we're going to be using it, you know, when we're going to be driving it. Um, but yeah, so Hans Mesker has passed away, sadly, at the age of 90. Just what a, what a wonderful, wonderful human being to be able to harness his intelligence and his, uh, um, his abilities, really, to, to, to create such amazing power plants and uh and help to create some of the most amazing cars that we'll ever see and it's cool i think about this stuff you know with with him passing away i think about stuff like that like could i have ever i mean obviously i have never been in that position the position that he was in to uh to succeed like that um but could i ever be that smart even you know, I feel like if you if you put somebody in a situation, uh, they either rise to the challenge or they fall, you know, and uh, could I even be in that type of situation and rise to a challenge? And uh, I think no, 
<laughs> no, I probably probably wouldn't rise to it. I think I would have some interesting input, but I don't think I'd be developing a power plant that would be uh, world class or a series of power plants that would be world class uh, and absolutely lusted over and after. But yeah, it's it's so cool. I mean, I I think in my mind, what what the hell? How do you think of that? You know, it's like when I listen to Howard Stern, I listen to to him interview musicians and, and they talk about, you know, they uh, they took a song and they made it in 20 minutes or they put it together in an hour. You know, you you, you think about the Beatles, they would sit in in uh, the studio. They would actually have work hours, you know, like a nine to five work, you know, working hour uh, or working day in the studio. They would do that for like five days a week for a few weeks until they had an album. And then they'd, you know, go off on vacation and come back and do it again. And you think some of these people, you know, they're so intelligent and they're so able to do these things. And, and I guess, you know, I, I'm a musician. I've been a musician. I went to music school, music university, music college. Um, I've been on stage. I've played for people. I mean, not, you know, not crazy amounts of crowds, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talented esque, you know, like I know how to drive cars. Well, right. I know how to drive a manual. Obviously, uh, I can hold my own. If you throw me on a racetrack or you throw me on back roads, whatever, but you know, some of these people are just so amazing and so brilliant at what they do. It, I don't know if you think like this, but I definitely do where I think, man, what would it be like to be in their shoes and understand how they do this, how they go about it? Like what happens? Is there just like a, you know, a click of sorts in their mind or is it more calculated? You know, how, how do they go about it? I'd, I'd be curious. And I'd, I wish that I could have met Hans Metzger to really pick his brain and understand, you know, what, what it was like. How do you, how do you go about doing that? You know? Um, Yeah. Yeah, obviously he will be missed. And uh, at 90 years old, he obviously had a fantastic life. And what a hell of a life to to live, right? Whew. I, you know, I, I don't know how he passed away or from what or, you know, if it was just old age. But, uh, but yeah, uh, to Hans Metzger, man, my hat's off to you. Thank you for all the wonderful joy you've given us. And as somebody who is a is a fan of 9-11s and, you know, uh, racing in general, you know, thanks. I mean, that's kind of corny, kind of cheesy, you know, just thank you. <laughs> it's not like he's listening right now on his iPhone, on Apple Podcasts, like, uh, oh, you're, you're welcome. I don't know what kind of accent that was. Pardon me. That was awful. <laughs> that was so stupid. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was terrible. Moving on to any other story we can find because that sucked. Um, but yeah, Metzger was a, was a huge figure, uh, larger than life. And finally, I'm going to go to my final story of the evening, uh, which is the fact that I think I've pinpointed the car that I really, really, really want, uh, for my well, like third car technically, because my wife and I each have a car. Uh, so it would technically be our third. Um, and I'm trying to find it here on car guru, car guru, car guru. 
Uh, I'm going to find it at some point. But it is a, I can already tell you right now, it's a 2006 BMW M3 competition package. Um, it's a really nice car. It is in Mystic Blue, which according to um, according to uh, to to this uh, ad, it is one of ten competition package Mystic Blue cars. Uh, I would assume sold in the United States. It was uh, it's it's beautiful color. Uh, I know Mystic Blue, um, but it is uh, a manual swamp. So it was an SMG car. Uh, SMG stands for sequential manual gearbox, uh, and in the E46 M3, it was the SMG2 was was that in the E36 M3, not in America but in Europe, you could get the SMG1. And uh, interestingly enough, it didn't actually have paddles, as far as I know. I think it was just you just shifted, and you had no clutch. So it's kind of kind of interesting. Uh, this car is rather nice. It's it seems to be in pretty damn good shape. Uh, it does have 93,000 miles. That's not great. But that's not terrible, I don't think, for these cars, realistically. Um, and it has had a ton of work done to it. Uh, the the seller, it appears that he is the fifth, or she is the fifth uh, owner of the car. Um, they want 24000 for it. Again, it has 93,000 miles. Uh, and it has had, again, a literal shit ton of work done to it. Um, and I have the, I have the, uh, the whole listing right here. Uh, so what's been done in the last 5,000 miles is inspection to service valve adjustment, new air filter, new oil filter, new spark plugs, new engine transmission and differential oil, new coolant, new power steering fluid and power steering line. Also new brake fluid and new pulleys, tensioners and belts, new thermostat, fan clutch and fan blade, new continental tires, uh, Vanos rebuild. And of course the SMG conversion to manual. Uh, I don't know that that was done in the last 5,000 miles, uh, but at some point, cause the way it's, it's, it's kind of worded confusingly cause it shows the maintenance that's done in the last 5,000 miles. And then just under that says also, and then, so it lists the other things like the pulleys, continental tires, thermostat, Vanos rebuild and uh, conversion to manual. Uh, the other funny thing is it says uh, car is 100% stock except black grills, 35% tint, uh, Turner Motorsport pulleys, BMW E60 short shifter, Euro blind spot mirrors, and Euro center console. So it's not 100% stock. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so it says no rust, no accidents, uh, Vanos rebuild, and then uh, no subframe cracks. So I'd be very curious to see... Um, very curious to see how the subframe is held up uh, or if the subframe subframe was reinforced at some point by one of the other owners. Um, I don't want to give too, inf- too much information about the car because I don't want somebody to go and buy it, uh, number one, even though I've given a, a ton of it already. I also don't want to give uh, too much of my hopes with uh, potentially getting a car because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm like 65% serious right now. Uh, I've been looking, you know, at, at collector, potentially getting a collector-ish car. Um, and, of course, it's 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 hard to really say what is going to be a collector car in the future, right? Because we, we don't know. We have no idea. We have no clue. But I I have a feeling E46 M3s are, are going to continually be on the rise in the collector car market. They're really great cars uh, for multiple reasons. They're pretty reliable with, with most things. 
Of course, the rear subframe and the Vanos are issues that they've had. Uh, but also, from what I know, I mean, I've driven them. I've driven a number of E46 M3s, and I, I love them every single time. But from what I know from people that have owned them, they're, they've been pretty reliable for people. And if you really need to do some work on, on most of the car, you can do it. You know, uh, if you if you know your way around, you can do it pretty easily and pretty well. Um, I, I still think they're beautiful cars today. I like the interior. It's simple. It's easy. It's comfortable. I've been in them a bunch of times over the years. And I think they're usable. I think they're fast, even by today's standards. I mean, I remember I think it was Road and Track that actually took one, took an M3 back in the day, like a 2002 or 2003 M3 to uh, like four and a half seconds to 60 or something like that, maybe 4.6. And then I saw in later years, it kind of uh, a lot of magazines, car and driver, motor trend, uh, road and track, they kind of did like 4.6 to 4.8 seconds to 60, um, which honestly is reasonably quick, right? It's still very, very fast. You had a 8,000 or 8,100 RPM red line, um, just great sounding inline six, 333 horsepower, 262 pound-feet of torque. I remember when I was a teenager seeing the E46 M3 battle the, the Corvette and the 911 in car magazines. And I just thought it was the most interesting and weird thing that it had 333 horsepower. <laughs> you know, it didn't have 330, didn't have 335. It had 333. Uh, and the same with torque. Didn't have 260, didn't have 265, had 262. And I always appreciated that. That was something I thought was really it was nerdy. It was overly technological, you know, er, overly technological, excuse me, overly technical is what I meant to say. Uh, and I like that. I like that attention to detail. It had 333 horsepower. Didn't have any more. Didn't have any less. It was like when I had my E90 M3, uh, my 09, it had 414 horsepower. I always, I always like that because some people would say it had 420 or some people would say it had 415. No, it had 414 horsepower. I love that. I just, I, that's a, it's such a goofy, geeky thing, but I do love it. Um, and these E46 M3s are such good cars. I never had the idea that I would want a competition package. It wasn't necessarily on my radar. I, I really just preferred a standard M3, uh, an o, like an O3 or, you know, to O4 M3. Um, I would have liked to have find, I, I, when I was looking at them for years, I, I really kind of wanted to find like a, a 2003 and a half, which is the start of the LED taillights. Um, and at that point also they had the uh, different suspension ride height. Uh, they had learned some things from the M3 CSL and the competition package is like the CSL light, um, uh, which is kind of weird because CSL actually means, uh, competition sport light. And, um, but in America, they, we didn't get the CSL obviously, but we got the competition package. But one thing I always thought was really weird and goofy about the competition package, the steering wheel was an Alcantara steering wheel, right? Uh, and the steering wheel faceplate had no buttons except for one. It had an IO button, which was basically like the M Sport uh, button, as far as I know. And I always thought it was interesting. It had no cruise control. Why no cruise? It always kind of threw me for a loop. 
but I've been looking at things and I've, I've read online that it's actually very easy that apparently all the wiring is there. All you have to do is, is change the faceplate, uh, steering wheel faceplate to a regular M3 face, uh, you know, steering wheel plate and just hook up the buttons. It's, you know, it's all there. Um, because I would like to have cruise control, you know, because uh, I like to drive. What can I say? Uh, also it does have factory navigation, which I like, um, just because it's, you know, one more selling point 10, 20 years from now. But also I've been looking into if I did get one of these cars, uh, if I did get any car, potentially adding something like Apple CarPlay and there is a company, um, in fact, let me pull it up now. I forget what the, what the name of the company is actually called. Oh, Avant. Um, is it Avant or Avon? At, it's called the Avant 4 Multimedia Navigation System for BMW 3 Series E46 M3, blah, blah, blah. But it's called Avin or Avin, uh, A-V-I-N. And they start out with a, um, uh, with a, uh, just a simple head unit that resembles, looks pretty much identical to the navigation uh, unit that is actually in these cars. So, so one of the cool things is that you don't have to uh, change. Uh, so when you put these in, you have to relocate the HVAC to the storage bin be, uh, beneath the radio system, uh, center console area. Uh, but this way, because if you have navigation, it's already been relocated from the factory, right? So it's just the most of it is plug and play anyway. Um, the system starts at like 300 bucks and you can add a million and one options from there. Um, like of course, CarPlay or wireless CarPlay, which I think would be really cool to have wireless CarPlay in that car. And, um, you know, front and rear cameras, and then, um, the, uh, recording system for the front and rear cameras. So it's, again, some cool stuff. Um, and I would obviously budget that into, to buying the car. Um, it's a simple gray interior, um, just that old gray Napa leather, uh, that was pretty common in these M3s anyway. Uh, but yeah, you know, if, if, uh, anybody out there is listening, uh, feel free to, uh, to give me your opinion. Um, let me know what you think. Or if you know the person that's selling the car, uh, send them my way, josh at rawautos.com. Um, this would be a purchase by me solely, uh, my brother, sadly, because of the whole COVID-19 situation, um, he's lost a little bit of his, he still is employed. Uh, if you haven't listened in the past, uh, but my brother and I have been talking about buying a quote unquote future collectible of sorts. Uh, we thought about going in halvesies and we've looked at some different things from, you know, C4 Corvette ZR1s to, uh, C5, C6, Z06s to maybe like an E46 M3 or E39 M5 or a 996 911 Turbo. Uh, we were looking at maybe spending, maybe spending 50 to 60,000 total. Um, but my brother sadly has lost a little bit of his uh, base salary uh, from his job uh, because, you know, due to COVID 19. Um, and he has a wife, two kids, and a house. So I. <laughs> I understand it. You know, you, you, we don't know what the future holds. So obviously I'm not going to hold him to it. We had a conversation about it and totally understand and respect that, uh, it's not the right time for him. Um, but I'm going to still try and get something. Uh, I've been wanting an E46 M3 for a while, mainly because I love them. Uh, also because I 
don't want to be in a situation where a few years from now I have to spend 50 grand to get one, right? Um, I have my 2017 Shelby GT350 out front. I love my car dearly, um, but it too will be a future collectible one day. In the next 10 to 20 years, it will be worth something, you know? Maybe not in 10 years, maybe more so in 20. I don't know. Uh, but the E46 M3 would be worth more um, at some point, I would say sooner than the, than the Shelby will. But uh, but yeah, it would be kind of nice. I would love to have both cars and two of my favorite cars. Two of my dream cars as well, you know? Uh, even though I've had an M3, I've had an E90 M3. Loved my E90. And I've looked at even getting back into one of those. Because I love the V8 in that car. I love the way it drove. I love the way it handled. And I just loved it. I loved having the sedan as well. And um, But I really like the E46s. I've lusted after them, after them for a long time. And I've wanted one for my own uh, personal collection for a long, long time. And I think having an E46 M3 and a Shelby GT350 would be a pretty badass combination of cars to have. Uh, in the garage and driveway. So, uh, yeah, again, let me know what you think. Um, you know, feel free to send me a car if you think there's a better one out there. Uh, yeah. So with that, I am going to end this podcast. And as always, I really appreciate you listening. And, uh, of course you can email me, Josh at Any comments, concerns, uh, tell me to go screw myself, whatever. Uh, obviously leave, uh, comments and rate uh, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Go to rawautos.com for all your car needs. Um, well, I don't know what needs you have with cars, but anything you want to know about cars. And I will have some reviews coming up this week, uh, so uh, stay tuned. And uh, next Monday, of course, I don't have my damn calendar up. I always do this. What the hell? Uh, next Monday... June 22nd, uh, you will hear another Raw Autos podcast. You know what? That just I just made me realize. June 22nd will actually be our 22nd episode. Thought that was kind of interesting just now. Um, and of course, Father's Day is June 21st. So get your father some cool stuff if you haven't already. And with that, this is it. Just remember, every morning that you wake up, Put some of that good old-fashioned freeze-dried Folgers in your coffee cup and listen to the Rawders podcast. And as always, happy motor. Okay.